Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Argy Stampas and Dr. Rose Gavari to discuss all things neurogenic bladder. And now, Bladder Buzz. Welcome to Bladder Buzz. I'm Dr. Argy Stampas, a rehabilitation physician or physiatrist treating people with spinal cord injury and brain injury at Tier Memorial Hermann and UT Health at Houston McGovern Medical School. This is our first in a series of podcasts about neurogenic bladder. We'll be talking about all things neurogenic bladder from the kidneys to the bladder to the urethra to the pee hole. That's a medical term. There's going to be lots of potty talk. Um, joining us today is Dr. Rose Kavari. Rose, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Argy. I am Rose Kavari. I'm a urologist with Houston Methodist Hospital, and I specialize in neurogenic bladder, urinary continence, and pelvic reconstructive surgery in both men and women. So what that actually means is that just like any other urologist who are usually thought of as plumbers, as you might have heard, I do also make sure that the urinary tract pathways and the entire plumbing is functioning fine, is open, there are no stones, there's no blockage, but I also make sure that the urinary tract system is functioning okay. So specifically, the bladder and the pelvic organs are doing their proper job of storing and emptying the urine. So Rose and I know each other because we have mutual patients. As a physiatrist, I work to improve the function and quality of life in people with neurologic injury and disease. Uh, causing symptoms like paralysis, but these diseases and injuries can also affect the bladder, and that's where Rose comes in. Rose, can you explain to us what is neurogenic bladder? So neurogenic bladder is just a broad term, and it's used for any individual that has bladder or urinary concerns, and at the same time has a neurological disease, such as the patients that you mentioned, patients with spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, or Parkinson's, And when they present with urinary symptoms, we call it neurogenic bladder. However, the problem is not just the bladder. It actually goes beyond the bladder. So it includes the entire lower urinary tract. And by lower urinary tract, I actually mean the bladder itself, the bladder neck, and the urinary sphincter. Um, So the more accurate and the more specific term is actually neurogenic lower urinary tract disorder, which is pretty mouthful, but I think patients need to be familiar with it. But more commonly, people use neurogenic bladder. Great. I'm going to stick with neurogenic bladder because that is a mouthful. So what are the symptoms of neurogenic bladder? Well, um, Argy, before I actually share with you and our listeners about the symptoms of neurogenic bladder, um, I actually have to discuss the proper function of the lower urinary tract, the bladder, bladder, neck, and sphincter. As you know, and as our listeners probably also know, lower urine tract has two jobs, two functions, or two phases. It has to store urine and it has to empty urine. So storage phase and emptying phase. So basically, the bladder has to hold urine comfortably. It has to be calm and quiet. For instance, while we're sitting here and talking, our bladder has to hold the urine comfortably. When we sleep, it has to hold the urine comfortably. That's the storage phase. And then when it's the right time, right place, and on demand, it needs to empty, and it needs to empty all the way with minimal residual. Um, And that's the voiding phase, that's the emptying phase. So 
we say lower, lower urinary tract dysfunction due to neurological disease or neurogenic bladder, it can affect the storage phase or emptying phase, or even both phases at the same time. If the storage phase is affected, that means the bladder is not calm, is not quiet when it's supposed to hold urine, then the individual can have urinary frequency, like gotta go, gotta go feeling, urinary urgency, like when they don't have any warning to make it to the bathroom, and urinary incontinence, which are very common, as you know, in neurogenic bladder patients. Mm -hmm. Now, when the emptying phase is affected, that's when the individual can have urinary hesitancy, like they usually say it's hard to start a flow, or they have slow flow or intermittent stream. Um, and in some cases, they can't even empty the bladder, and patients need to use catheters to empty their bladder. So again, uh, Arky, I think it's important for, for our listeners to know that neurogenic bladder patients can have symptoms during their storage phase or their emptying phase or both at the same time. Okay, so what I'm understanding is that neurogenic bladder affects people who have a neurologic disease and it can impact the way they store urine, the way they empty their bladder, or a combination of both. So does your diagnosis tell you what kind of neurogenic bladder you have? For example, does everyone with spinal cord injury have the same type of neurogenic bladder? So that's an excellent question, Argy. Actually, no. Neurogenic bladder is very heterogeneous. And by that, I mean every patient is unique. Even within each neurologic disease category, there is a variety of symptoms that patients experience. For instance, not all spinal cord injury patients or multiple sclerosis patients will have similar bladder and urinary symptoms. There are many factors that we need to keep in mind that can affect the neurogenic bladder symptom complex. And when I say complex, it's because many times it's not just one symptom that brings the patient in. They have multiple different symptoms. And these are usually dependent on the status of their neurological disease, the severity of it, where they are in their treatment, and um, each individual's gender and each individual's uh, physical and health. So for instance, Argy, in men above age 40, we have to think about the benign growth of prostate, basically the prostate enlargement, which can also ob obstruct their urinary tract or, or their urine flow, and it can make the whole picture even more complex. For women, on the other hand, we have to think about prolapse, pelvic organ prolapse, it's common with pregnancy, it's common with delivery. So all of those other factors can contribute to the neurogenic bladder symptom complex that they come to see us for. So basically, Argy, what I'm trying to get to is that each neurogenic bladder patient is very unique, and his and her symptoms may not be the same as other individuals with that neurological diagnosis. And that's why every individual with neurogenic bladder needs to be seen, evaluated, and assessed very closely. Rose, I say it all the time. A neurogenic bladder is like a snowflake. Each snowflake is very unique, just like the neurogenic bladder. So given the amount of difference between types of neurogenic bladder, does that mean there are different types of treatment? So yes, actually the management is very different. And thankfully, there are many, many options nowadays. The, the management, the way we treat individuals with neurogenic bladder has really progressed a lot over the past 20 to 30 years. We have many new FDA-approved therapies. We have many more investigational 
therapies that are promising are in the pipeline, they're being investigated. So when I discuss treatment with my patients, I emphasize that we can manage their neurogenic bladder with many of the options that we have, but rarely we can actually fix it and make it all go away. So, so we actually evaluate each patient carefully and come up with a management plan that addresses their storage phase and their voiding phase if they have it, um, and their, their entire bladder health and their abnormalities. We can use oral medications, we can use injectables, we have invasive and non-invasive neuromodulations that all of it can help our patients hold their urine better, hold it longer, be less incontinent, have less leakage, sleep better at night, and also help them empty their bladder better with less residual, with less infections. That's a common uh, question I get, Rose. So we're treating the symptoms with the medications and the procedures, but it doesn't sound like we're reversing any of the damage that might have been done. So what is this damage and what are the long-term consequences of leaving the bladder untreated? So now, Argy, that's such an important point that you bring up. When individuals come to see me early on, they may have just symptoms of bladder dysfunction. They may have urgency, frequency, incontinence, but they're not aware that this neurogenic bladder can actually affect their kidneys long-term. It can affect the function of the kidneys long-term. And I always bring it up to them and remind them that they only see their bladder and their bladder symptoms, but as their urologist, as their PMNR physician, it is important that we keep the kidneys and upper tracts in mind. For instance, if the bladder can't hold comfortably and the storage pressures are high, then the kidneys will have a harder time putting urine in the bladder. So what happens is that the kidneys become swollen, they lose their function. So long term, if we don't manage or keep an eye on neurogenic bladder, it can lead to actually infections, which we see very commonly, stones in the bladder or in the kidneys, and even permanent kidney damage leading to transplantation. So uh, we really have to keep an eye on neurogenic bladder long term. Okay, so um, let me let me summarize and give the listeners my, the take-home points. Uh, number one, everyone's neurogenic bladder is unique like a snowflake. Uh, number two, there's a lot of good treatment options, but um, if left untreated, you can't go back in time. It's not going to reverse the damage. Uh, and number three, because the damage can be permanent and even affect the kidneys, you do need routine urologic monitoring. So now, Argy, I can't get that image of the snowflakes out of my mind. There are a couple of other things I do want to point out, though. Um, I liked your summary of the neurogenic bladder and reminding our patients and our listeners that it's important to keep uh, watching the neurogenic bladder and uh, following up with their urological care. But I also want to say that I encourage them to know about their bladder, to learn more about neurogenic bladder and their kidney function, their bladder function. Also, I want to encourage them to take charge, take an active role in taking care of their bladder, um, become a partner with their physicians. And, and really, I think having an insight and having it and playing an, a, an active role will be the key to success long term. Because as you said, we're in it for the long term. The neurogenic bladder is not going to go away. We just have to manage it long term. Thank you for your time today. And um, thank you for keeping people continent dry and 
peeing safely, and I hope you can join us. Of course, Argy. Thank you for putting together this podcast. I love it. It's been a pleasure to be your guest. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.